I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, it's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Welcome to this edition of Arsenal Audio Match Day Program. Arsenal versus Chelsea, Sunday, August the 22nd, 2021. Kick-off 4.30pm. The contents, official voice, around Arsenal. Player feature, Nicolas Pepe. Sustainability. Community voice. Foundational voice. Academy Young Gun. Around the Academy. History. Arsenal Women. Visitors, Chelsea. Match Action. Arsenal versus Chelsea. Match Action. Arsenal versus Tottenham. Match Action. Brentford versus Arsenal. Supporters Voice and Teams. Official Voice. Stan and Josh Cronkey. Every issue we hear exclusively from significant figures at the club on our official voice pages of the programme. Here follows a message from Josh and Stan Cronkey ahead of our first home match of season 2021-22. Welcome to the start of a new Premier League season here at Emirates Stadium. The first home league game of the season is always a special moment in the calendar and this season it's made even more special by the fact we're finally able to greet you back properly. It's been a long 18 months since that last Premier League home match without capacity restrictions against West Ham United, just days before the pandemic took hold. Yes, football has continued, but it's not been the same without supporters in the stadium. So we're delighted to welcome you all back and thank you for your continued support. Your presence has been sorely missed by us all. We know there's much work ahead to get back to where we need to be, but are confident about what can be achieved by this great club and our people. We're building a squad rich in young talent, much of it developed through our wonderful academy. It's clear looking across Europe that we're dealing with a difficult transfer market due to the impacts of the pandemic, but at the time of writing, are delighted to have signed Nuno Tavares, Sambi Lokonga and Ben White. We've also renewed the deals of Kieran Tierney and Emile Smith-Rowe, both on a long-term basis. These are all young players that we're convinced can develop further and have a bright future with us. They're supported by a strong group of more experienced players, including Granit Xhaka, who has signed an extended contract. This is an important step in terms of maintaining balance and stability in the squad. 
In the meantime, the transfer negotiating team has been working hard behind the scenes to improve the squad further. Our women's team is well-placed to compete strongly under the guidance of new head coach Jonas Eideval, at a time when the game is growing in an exciting way. This season we will take the opportunity to showcase the women's team at Emirates Stadium and hope to welcome many new fans to Arsenal women, both at Emirates Stadium and Boreham Wood FC. When it comes to the club's deeper connection and contribution to community and broader society, we continue to lead the way on championing and supporting people and organisations close to home, while the groundbreaking work of the Arsenal Foundation with Save the Children makes a far-reaching impact globally. Importantly, we also continue to work across the game and beyond to eradicate the appalling online abuse, which is directed at players and others through the social networks. This is a stain on the game we must remove, and we'll do everything in our power to make this happen. We're grateful for the support received from supporters groups to work with us to drive change, and look forward to working closer with our fans and supporters groups through initiatives like the Arsenal Advisory Board we announced in the closed season. Everyone at Arsenal is emerging from the pandemic determined to drive our club forward. Yes, there are many challenges ahead, but with your support and encouragement, we're confident we'll return to competing for and winning the game's biggest trophies. Thank you for your support. Around Arsenal. Welcome, NHS. We are delighted to host staff from our local NHS Trust today. On our first day back at the Emirates, it is vital that we remember and thank the NHF staff that played the biggest game of their lives throughout the pandemic. We will never be able to thank them enough for the work they have done and continue to do for our community. The NHS staff here today also have the chance to do a remarkable job representing Arsenal on the pitch in a football tournament for NHS staff that Arsenal in the community have been organising alongside the other football clubs that make up London United. Having made it through qualifying, four teams of NHS staff will be representing us in the wider London tournament on September the 5th. Welcome to the Arsenal! So far this summer, Mikel Arteta has added three players to the squad. Here's the lowdown. Nuno Tavares, first to arrive, was 21-year-old Portugal youth international Nuno Tavares from Benfica. The left-back scored against Rangers in pre-season and became the 883rd player in Arsenal history when he made his first-team debut against Brentford last week. He has taken squad number 20. Sambi Lokonga, arriving from Anderlecht on July 19th, Sambi was our second signing of the summer. The midfielder had spent his whole career with Anderlecht, playing 78 times in the past four seasons and progressing to Belgium under-21 level. He became only the second Belgium to represent the Arsenal first team after Thomas Vermaelen when he started against Brentford last Friday. Full name? Albert Sambi Lokonga. He wears number 23 this season. Ben White. Finally, arriving from Brighton and Hove Albion, was 23-year-old England defender Ben White. The centre-back, who can also play at right-back or in defensive midfield, 
was named Brighton Player of the Season last term, a year after winning the championship during an impressive loan spell for Leeds United. Ben has the number four shirt this season. In addition, two youngsters, both graduates of the Hale End Academy, have been promoted to the first-team squad. Striker Follerin Balligan, 20, has been handed number 26, while 19-year-old goalkeeper Arthur Onkonkwo takes the number 33 shirt. Leaving the Gunners, just before the start of the season, we said farewell to midfielder Joe Willock, who has joined Newcastle United on a permanent deal. Joe, who turned 22 on Friday, had spent his whole career with us after joining as a five-year-old and scored 11 goals from 78 first-team appearances. He rejoined Newcastle after a successful loan spell at the end of last term. Also leaving the Gunners in the summer, all on loan deals, were Matteo Ganduzzi and William Saliba, both Marseille, and Constantinos Mavrapanos, Stuttgart. COVID Awareness We are asking all supporters to show consideration for fellow fans in Emirates Stadium this afternoon. This includes wearing masks when inside confined areas, such as the stadium concourses and toilets. To help alleviate any very busy areas around the turnstiles, we encourage fans to arrive early and use the digital version of their season ticket or membership pass that has been sent to them via email. They can save this to their Apple or Android wallet for quicker entry into Emirates Stadium. We would also recommend that supporters educate themselves on the potential COVID certification changes that may be coming. There are FAQs on the ticketing page of arsenal.com which will be updated regularly. Games on television Seven of our next nine games have been rescheduled and will be shown live on TV. As well as our Carabao Cup tie against West Brom, the following Premier League games have been changed. Man City vs Arsenal, Saturday, August 28th, kick-off 12.30pm, live on BT Sport. Arsenal vs Tottenham, Sunday, September 26th, kick-off 4.30pm, live on Sky Sports. Brighton and Herve Albion vs Arsenal, Saturday, October 2nd, kick-off 5.30pm, live on Sky Sports. Arsenal vs Crystal Palace, Monday, October 18th, kick-off 8pm, live on Sky Sports. Arsenal vs Aston Villa, Friday, October 22nd, kick-off 8pm, live on Sky Sports. Leicester City vs Arsenal, Saturday, October 30th, kick-off 12.30pm, live on BT Sport. The TV selections have now been made up to the end of October. Announcements for November will be made on September the 16th. All of our fixtures this season can be found later in today's programme. The Matchday Programme We hope you enjoy the new look programme this season. We have endeavoured to create more longer reads this season, longer format features you can really get your teeth into, lots to read and lots to look at too, with a bespoke gallery selection in every issue. The programme is the perfect home for the high-class imagery we have access to from our club photographers and the archives. We are also giving supporters more opportunities to get involved in the programme. 
appealing for your thoughts on the subject of our main player feature, our new supporters' voice feature, and we want to hear more about your efforts to live more sustainably. On that subject, we're really excited about our red, white and green section, which highlights all of the changes we are making at the club and programme specifically to champion sustainability, including growing our very own Arsenal Forest in Kenya. In terms of buying the programme, we have a new improved sales portal, where you can buy individual copies and subscriptions and be entered into a signed shirt prize draw. You will find our portal at programme.arsenal.com. We will also be producing programmes for Arsenal Women home matches, which will be available via the portal too. For any questions about the programme and to give us feedback, drop us an email to programme at arsenal.co.uk or tweet us at AFC Programme. Trip to the Hawthorns Arsenal have been drawn against West Bromwich Albion in the second round of the Carabao Cup. The match takes place on Wednesday, August the 25th, kick-off 8pm, and it will be shown live on Sky Sports. It is the fourth time the two teams have played each other in the competition all this century, and all ending in Arsenal victories. December the 16th, 2003, West Brom nil. Arsenal 2, scored by Carno and Aliadier. October the 24th, 2006, West Brom 0, Arsenal 2, both scored by Aliadier. September the 22nd, 2009, Arsenal 2, scored by Watt and Vela, West Brom 0. September the 25th, 2013, West Brom 1, scored by Berahino. Arsenal 1, scored by Eisfeld. Arsenal won 4-3 on penalties. We won both Premier League matches against Chelsea last season, last winning three in a row against them in the league between January 03 and February 04. Support AWFC. A fortnight today, Arsenal women will get their Women's Super League campaign underway here at Emirates Stadium. The match on Sunday, September the 5th, kicks off at 12.30pm and will be the team's first ever WSL match played at Emirates. And it's a big one, with Chelsea the current WSL champions. A title new Arsenal head coach, Jonas Ardeval, will be focused on in his first campaign. Tickets for the game are priced at £12 for adults and £6 for concessions. They are on sale now at dticketing.co.uk slash arsenal. With lots of talented new signings, it is sure to be an exciting season for the team, who also make a return to the Women's European Champions League. All support will be hugely appreciated. See you in a fortnight. Get your handbook. The official Arsenal handbook is back for another season containing all the essential information you have come to expect from this long-standing publication. It's your must-have guide to the new season. Packed inside this year, player profiles and portrait pictures for each member of the first-team squad, accurate and in-depth career stats for every player, all the stats and facts from the 2020-21 to campaign, 
details of every cup and European game the club has played, as well as every league season. Profiles for every youth player, Arsenal women FC player and member of the coaching staff, plus season previews and much more. The handbook is available exclusively via the My Arsenal Rewards Hub, accessible via arsenal.com and the Arsenal Official app, and will be printed and dispatched as soon as the squad is finalised after the transfer deadline on August the 31st. Ticket News Home, Arsenal vs Norwich City, Saturday, September the 11th, Premier League, kick-off 3pm. This is a Category C fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 200 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to Silver, Red, Purple, Cannon and Junior Gunner members only. Arsenal vs Tottenham, Premier League, Sunday, September the 26th, kick-off 4.30pm, live on Sky Sports. This is a Category A fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 50 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets will go on sale to Silver, Purple, Cannon and Junior Gunner members at 10am on Wednesday, September the 1st. An allocation of tickets will go on sale to Red members at 10am on Thursday, September the 2nd. Away, West Brom vs Arsenal Carabao Cup Round 2, Wednesday, August the 25th, kick-off 8pm, live on Sky Sports. Please visit www.arsenal.com slash tickets for up-to-date ticket information regarding this fixture. Man City vs Arsenal, Premier League, Saturday, August the 28th, kick-off 12.30. Live on BT Sport, sold out. We received an allocation of 3,065 tickets for this fixture. Around AFC, raising a glass to 120 Santa Rita. We are celebrating five years of our partnership with 120 Santa Rita. To mark the anniversary, we launched a campaign with Santa Rita, hoping to reach football fans and wine lovers around the world, aimed at promoting our shared values of history, class and tradition. You can watch our special launch video with Mikel Arteta by visiting arsenal.com. Everyone at Arsenal is extremely proud of our long-standing relationship with Santa Rita and we look forward to working together to offer more memorable experiences to our global fan base. Cheers to five years sharing every game and every glass. Notice board. Very many congratulations to Samuel and Jenny on the birth of Ezra Francis Thomas on July the 23rd, 2021. A new Guna has arrived, with much love from Lucy Guna. Congratulations, lifelong Guna, Simon Hunt and wife Laura, an equal lifelong Chelsea fan on the birth of Maggie Rose, born June 19th, a beautiful baby sister for three-year-old Benji. Happy birthday to my Curly Mockney, only one year away from the Big Five-O. All my love, your girl from the Deep South. Happy 13th birthday, Alejandro Christophoridis. We love you zillions, Mum, Dad and Cristiano. Happy 13th birthday, Alexander Chance. Love Dad, Mum and Jasmine. Totalizer, £25. 
Arsenal remembers. Keith Ridgewell watched Arsenal live for over 60 years. His first match was October the 14th, 1941 at WHL 4-1 win, sadly missed by family and friends. Charles Ivan Claw, a lifelong supporter who loved Arsenal so much, so sadly taken by COVID, forever loved and remembered by his wife Sheila, children, Amanda, Jonathan and Lucy, and grandchildren, Max and Talia. Jordan Vieira. Jordan loved rugby, basketball and football, science, geography and English. Visiting Portugal, Rome, Spain, Mexico and New York, loved Arsenal. He dreamt of marriage, kids and becoming an engineer. Loved by all. Gone, but never forgotten. We love you forever, Jordan. John William Seagrove passed away aged 86 on May 29th. Season ticket holder at every game for 65 years who took his sons to games. He was a widower to his late wife. He mourned the loss of his eldest daughter, missed by his son's daughter and partner, granddaughter and grandson, always in our hearts. John Emery, lifelong gooner and season ticket holder, lost his three-and-a-half-year battle with cancer on June 27, 2021. He didn't miss a home game all the way through his treatment. Rest in peace, Dad. Join the forum. We are accepting applications for the following positions on the fans' forum. Vacancies have arisen as four members reach the end of their three-year term. We are looking for people to represent these groups, gold members, over 60s, women, 16 to 21 year olds. The Fans Forum meets three times a year to discuss operational matters and will be attended by Chief Executive Vinay Venkatesham and other senior executives. Josh Cronkey will attend at least one Fans Forum each season. The key areas of focus are ticket pricing and experience, membership pricing and benefits, safe standing, significant changes to the matchday experience, for example, cashless, other projects with significant impact on fans, for example, loyalty, ticket allocation for cup finals, maximising attendance at Emirates Stadium. If you wish to stand, please send your name, contact details and membership number to supporter liaison officer Mark Brindle at mbrindle at arsenal.co.uk by August the 27th. All applicants must be 16 or over as of August the 1st, 2021. We will then ask for further details, including your manifesto for the role. A golden Gabby. Congratulations to Gabriel Martinelli, who won an Olympic gold medal as part of the Brazil team at Tokyo 2020. Brazil topped Group D in Japan with wins over Germany 4-2 and Saudi Arabia 3-1 and a goalless draw with Ivory Coast. Gabby was used off the bench twice in the group stage. Brazil then went on to beat Egypt 1-0 in the quarter-final to set up a semi-final with Mexico. After another goalless draw, the game went to penalties and Gabby was on target from 12 yards to help Brazil progress 4-1. Extra time was needed in the final, where Brazil beat Spain 2-1 to claim gold. 
Gabby did not feature in the final. In the women's tournament, three gunners made it to the semi-final. Australian trio Caitlin Ford, Steph Cartley and Lydia Williams all just missed out on a bronze medal, losing 4-3 to USA. Ford scored one of the goals for Australia. Five other members of the Arsenal Women FC squad were in the tournament, with Dutch striker Viviane Maidema ending as top scorer with an incredible haul of ten goals from just four matches. The other players involved were defender Leah Williamson, new signing Nikita Paris and Scottish star Kim Little for Team GB and new striker Mana Iwabuchi for host Japan. Stop Online Abuse Since we launched our hashtag Stop Online Abuse action plan in March, we have been working hard internally and with the relevant stakeholders and authorities to take further action. Here are some of the steps we are taking. Sanctions for abusers. We have instigated club sanction proceedings against one Arsenal season ticket holder who incited violence towards Granite Xhaka and discriminatory abuse towards a Tottenham player on social media. A three-year stadium ban has been imposed, subject to appeal. This disciplinary action is in line with our recently updated sanctions guidance. We are also committing to publicise bans and share information on banned individuals with other clubs, further demonstrating our commitment to work with all stakeholders in the fight against all forms of discrimination. Identifying Anonymous Abusers We are working with data technology company Signify, whose sophisticated threat matrix technology helps us identify those who send abuse anonymously. This will allow us to take action against those who can be identified. We are running the post-Euros abuse received by Bukayo Osaka through Threat Matrix and will provide updates in due course. We are liaising with the police on this incident. We will take the strongest action against abusers identified as Arsenal season ticket holders or members. We will also escalate cases to the relevant authorities where appropriate. How to report abuse. We are working with our own supporters groups on this crucial issue and we are pleased to see the FSA and fan groups up uniting behind the hashtag blow the whistle on abuse campaign which encourages supporters to report abuse when they see it. If you experience or witness discrimination at a football match at any level or on social media you can report it to Kick It Out through their online reporting form or via their reporting app. You can report hate crimes to your local police force here, and you can also report posts to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat and YouTube. We encourage everyone to play their part in fighting all forms of discrimination and abuse. Player feature, Nicolas Pepe. On the day that Emirates Stadium welcomes back a capacity crowd in the Premier League, we hear from Nicolas Pepe about the best atmospheres he's experienced in his career so far, his early days playing in the hood, and what he loves about the English fans. For evidence of how much Nicolas Pepe is energised by playing in front of live crowds, just cast your mind back to the final two games of last season. 
Our trip to Crystal Palace on the penultimate match day was the first time we had played a Premier League match in front of more than 2,000 fans for 14 months. Back in the pre-pandemic days, Nico marked the occasion in superb style, scoring twice in a 3-1 win. Four days later, the supporters, 10,000 of them, returned to Emirates Stadium for our last game of the campaign against Brighton, and Nico once again took centre stage, netting another brace. Two games with crowds, four goals scored, a natural-born entertainer needs an audience. You'd be hard-pressed to find many players who said that they enjoyed the experience of playing in empty stadiums, but Nico admits he especially missed the buzz and the energy a live crowd brings. The pressure of having a crowd makes you play better, for me anyway, he begins. You concentrate more, and then you play with a higher quality. It's not surprising the winger feeds off the intensity of a crowd. From very early in his career, he was performing in front of passionate fans as he took his first steps in professional football. The Ivory Coast international was born and raised in France, in Matez Adjoli, not far from Paris, and he began his pro career with Poitiers in central France. But as for the best atmosphere he's ever known, that was down south, at Marseille's infamous Stade Velodrome, the biggest stadium in the country with a capacity of 67,000. It enjoys a reputation as being particularly unwelcome to visiting teams and fans. But for Nico, it brings back memories of a game in January 2019 with previous side Lille. That was the best atmosphere I've ever played in, he recalls. The Stade Velodrome in Marseille. We won the game 2-1 and I scored our first goal from a penalty just before half-time. That was the first time I had a laser shone directly in my face and I was taking the penalty, which wasn't great. Then the moment I scored, they threw bottles, and then there was beer landing on us, and stuff like that. I just thought it was funny, but you really see how huge the atmosphere is down there. When you're a Marseille fan, or if you play for the club, you soon see how important winning becomes. It's unusual to see that level of feeling because you don't often get an atmosphere like that in France or even many places in Europe. In fact, tension spilled over so much in the stands that day that the game was suspended by the referee for 40 minutes, with flares being thrown onto the pitch. Nico, who was a Marseille fan himself as a kid, didn't do anything to calm the locals once play resumed, scoring Lille second late on. Marseille then scored a consolation, but they couldn't prevent Lille earning their first win there for eight years. Nico had taken his side into the Lions' den and triumphed and you sense the reception the home fans gave him and his teammates played a big part in his motivation. To be honest, I enjoyed it, he smiles. I would say it's my favourite stadium ever to play in, because of that atmosphere. The reaction that day was just because I had scored against them. It wasn't hostile. In fact, I wouldn't say I've ever known a hostile reception especially. I can't really think of one. Maybe at Lille when I was playing for them, If we weren't winning, the supporters were really aggressive towards us. When we weren't getting results, it was tough, but we just kept going, and eventually, it improved. Actually, there was this one game with an unbelievable atmosphere at Lille, as well as the one at the Velodrome. I'd forgotten about it, but it's just come to me. 
it was Lille against PSG at home and we won 5-1 that same season. I scored in that game, as did current teammate Gabriel, and that was also one of the best atmospheres I've seen. Our stadium was at full capacity and it was a great game and a great atmosphere, the biggest I've played in. Nico has never been one to be intimidated by a crowd though. He grew up playing for a youth team in eastern Paris called Solitaire, mainly as a goalkeeper, until his teens. And every weekend, he would have a match somewhere around the outskirts of the French capital, and those experiences he tested some 15 years ago have stood him in good stead ever since. As a kid, I mostly played in and around Paris, he says. We had trips to the 93rd department, an area to the northeast of Paris, with a reputation of violence and drug trafficking. Pretty much everywhere, really. Matches were on a Saturday or Sunday morning with our parents, who'd take us, and we'd make convoys of three or four cars. We were playing everywhere, really. Port des Lilas, Aubervilliers, and Montrilly. The first time I played in front of fans was really early. I was 12 years old. We went to play against Clichy-sous-Bois, in the eastern suburbs of Paris. The stadium was in the middle of the hood, so the pitch was surrounded by guys from the estates. It was a great atmosphere, because when you're young, you don't realise that there were so many people there for a regional match. It was really good though. I enjoyed it. But whether it's being in front of a crowd or part of it, Nico is a huge football fan generally, and his first ever time attending a live match was at the imposing Parc des Princes, the home of Paris Saint-Germain. I can't remember exactly what game it was because I was really young, but I remember that we had our club in the 19th arrondissement, and it was partnered with PSG, so they gave us tickets for the games, which gave me the opportunity to go and see a match. I went along with my childhood friends, and it was great. He's never lost the bug since. The last game he watched in person was a youth tournament in Lille, just before the pandemic struck in early 2020 but he has no problem finding entertainment on the television to satisfy his desire for live sport. I'd say I watch about 10 games weekly usually. He says if it's a week with Champions League and Europa League matches, I might not watch the whole thing. Sometimes I'll start watching in the middle of the game, but I'll generally watch matches whenever they are on, especially the Champions League. I love that. One of my favourite games was when Iniesta scored that goal for Barcelona against Chelsea in 2009. The drama. But I also watch La Liga and the Bundesliga. Liga too. But I don't watch Serie A so much, apart from when there's a really big match on. Sometimes by chance, I might watch other foreign leagues, such as the MLS, but only very occasionally. It's not just football. Nico is a fan of many sports, mainly basketball and tennis. Yes, I like watching the NBA. I would love to go to an NBA final. I've never done that, but I don't have a particular team. I don't support anyone. I just watch all the teams. But in tennis, I love watching Novak Djokovic. I'll always watch him and Nadal. If there's a big game, I'll watch. But now, with the Premier League season restarting and fans welcome back inside stadiums, it's once again all about entertaining rather than being entertained for Nico. And playing in front of a sold-out Emirates, he says is a feeling that just can't be replicated. Frankly, the difference with an empty stadium is that the match feels a bit dead. You can hear each other on the pitch, but it's the fans that really bring that 12th man. 
that's what everyone misses. To be honest, I played in a lot of empty stadiums before I turned pro, so it didn't surprise me that much. But there isn't anything that's better about playing in an empty stadium than a full one. For me, an empty stadium doesn't have any positives. I tried to play the same in an empty stadium as I do when there are fans. But for me, when you hear the crowd sing, especially if they call your name, it's really emotional. It shows that the fans really care about you and it makes you really feel part of the club. It pushes you and when you hear them singing your name, it gives you an extra push. It really makes you want to score a goal and return the favour. I love the crowds in England, he adds. They are closer to the team. In France, I don't think they're like that. Here, they are really close and they really support the team. They keep going and they push you. Whatever the action is, if it's an attack or a good pass, it doesn't matter. They encourage you. That's the difference. I love the songs too. My favourite was the one the Man City fans used to sing for Yaya Toure. Yaya, Yaya Toure. It's not just inside the Emirates Stadium that Nico feels the love from the Arsenal fans though. I often see the fans out in the street, or in the restaurant maybe, and of course on social media. You hear from the fans. But the funniest one was when I was on holiday in Miami. I bumped into a fan who showed me his Arsenal tattoo on his calf. He showed me it and said, This is our year. And if it is to be our year, you feel that Nico will be a big part of that, especially if you can once again find inspiration from our 12th man. Arsenal Football Club, red, white and green. Sustainability focus. Arsenal Football Club has a vision to lead the sporting community in a quest to a more sustainable future and the match day programme is taking the lead. Working with Carbon Link in Kenya, this season's issue is offsetting the emissions generated during the programme production process, creating the Arsenal Forest in Africa. The programme is also sponsoring small environmental projects around the club as well as encouraging young fans and staff members to tell us about their green credentials. We are also highlighting our printer's environmental efforts. In addition, in each programme we showcase significant club-wide projects being undertaken as part of our drive to greater sustainability. Visit Rwanda. With just Lake Victoria separating the nations, Kenya's neighbour Rwanda prides itself on safeguarding species, living in harmony with the environment and promoting responsible tourism. Arsenal, of course, take a particular interest in the land of a thousand hills due to our long-standing partnership with Visit Rwanda. Bishop's Backing Arsenal's programme print partner, Bishop's Printers, are considered one of the most environmentally conscious printers in the UK. Here we highlight their sustainability credentials. Bishops have made a £300,000 investment installing 124 solar panels on their roof at their main factory in Portsmouth, enabling them to maximise power from renewable sources. The installation has reduced Bishop's carbon footprint by offsetting 2,842 tonnes of CO2 per year. Green gain by game. Small changes can make a big difference to our environment. Every issue, the Matchday programme is instigating one green gain in and around the football club. To get the ball rolling, we are planting a tree. Not just any tree, 
Bartosurses siliquestrum, a.k.a. a Judas tree, which populate the training ground, oxygenating the area and looking beautiful with their majestic pink blossom. Over the last 20 years, more than 29,000 trees have been planted at the training ground. The Arsenal Forest The Match Day programme has teamed up with Carbon Link, a not-for-profit reforestation organisation that specialises in helping communities in Kenya through consumption replacement tree planting. Carbon Link have estimated that to offset the carbon consumption of the Match Day programme, 12,500 trees, each absorbing 20 kilograms of CO2 over the next 10 years, need to be planted. We have committed to plant these trees using the budgetary savings made by changing the Premier League programmes from perfect bound, square back to saddle stitched staples. The format of the match day programme for the vast majority of its 120 plus years existence. The Arsenal Forest will be planted across 12.5 acres, the equivalent of 21.3 Emirates football pitches, in Bore, in the coast province of Kenya where carbon link work extensively. Not only will the tree planting ultimately absorb CO2, the planting process will also greatly help the local community, with 60 of the poorest local women employed to propagate the seedlings in a community nursery. The trees, which are the drought-resistant neem variety, will also provide farmers with a cash crop of timber with which to buy food, pay for school fees and other living expenses. This is crucial as the fast-changing climate in East Africa is bringing more floods and droughts and affects farmers' ability to grow food crops. The trees will also hugely help the tropical forest wildlife of the region, supporting hundreds of other species in what is one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on the planet. In each issue we will bring you more news of the Arsenal Forest as we monitor the growing, planting and maintenance of a little bit of Arsenal in East Africa. Grow your own. Carbon Link have ensured that our 12.5 acre Arsenal Forest is in an area that can expand in the future. This means fans can also get involved with the project. Trees are available to purchase in three different denominations. 25, 25 pounds. 50, 50 pounds. 100, 100 pounds. Fans can therefore own a tiny piece of Arsenal over in Kenya and help to expand the Arsenal forest so greater swathes of the region carry the gunner's name as well as helping the environment. If you are concerned with your own carbon footprint, this is an excellent way of making a small sustainable step in the right direction and also doing it in the name of the club you love. And what an excellent gift for an Arsenal fan in your life. Go to www.carbonlink.org forward slash the dash arsenal dash forest dash in dash Africa for more information and details of how to be part of our forest. Program upcycling scheme. Any programs that we don't sell have traditionally been offered to our community projects as valuable resources. However, we would be more than happy to let supporters get involved in this upcycling if they have a charity, school or community venture that could benefit from old issues and have the means to be able to collect them from the stadium. Please drop us an email to programme at arsenal.co.uk outlining where and why you would like to use the old programmes and we'll be in touch. Up for the Cups Arsenal and Camden Town Brewery's Special Partnership
The Matchday Programme's eco-awareness is part of a club-wide drive towards greater sustainability. In every issue of the programme, we will highlight one of the ways the club has recently advanced environmentally. Following a successful trial towards the end of the previous season, Arsenal introduced the Camden Town Brewery reusable plastic cup to all levels of the stadium for the start of 2019-2020. The cup, which can be washed up to 200 times, replaced the single-use plastic equivalent previously used for draft beer sales. Despite COVID hitting in the second half of the season, resulting in games being played behind closed doors, the reusable cup saved over half a million cups from being thrown away. The club were inspired to change as it became clear that the increase in single-use plastic bottles across the world was becoming a major global problem. It's projected that the weight of plastic in the oceans will outweigh that of fish by 2050. A reusable cup has been seen in other sports across the UK, namely rugby and cricket, as well as festivals and concerts, but it had never been used in a football stadium. Armed with the desire and ideas from suppliers, Arsenal spearheaded a trial with the Premier League and Sky Sports. Lessons were learnt from the trial and when discussions began to embark on a commercial relationship with Camden Town Brewery, it seemed the perfect way to launch the partnership. With the enthusiasm of CTB behind the project, the cups were designed and manufactured by Recup, based in Essex. The first cups were used when Arsenal entertained Burnley on August 17, 2019. All the cups are made in the UK using food-grade polypropylene. At the end of their life, they can be recycled and the material used to make crates for the washing process or more cup-collecting bins. After you have enjoyed your pint of Camden Hells or Pale, the real work starts. The bins that are placed around the stadium are collected and moved to the Emirates Stadium car park. To make sure we don't throw any cups away, the waste from the general waste bins is hand-sorted to remove all the recyclable material and our precious cups. Once removed and stacked in the bins, the cups are collected and taken to the Recup washing facility in Tilbury. Here the cups are placed in trays and washed in industrial dishwashers. The custom-made, state-of-the-art washing machines have been designed and built to be the most energy-efficient solution. They have made a bestoke steam condenser, allowing a large percentage of steam to be condensed and used as water in the pre-rinsing circuit. This means the washing and drying process uses 20% less water and 30% less energy than conventional machines. Following the wash, the cups are dried and sorted ready for returning to Emirates Stadium, where the whole process starts all over again. The cups will be set up in all areas of the stadium when we welcome back supporters today. Plastic straws and stirrers have also been removed from Emirates. Stacking up the 500,000 plastic cups saved in 2019-20 stroke would equal the same height as 39,801 pair mertesackers. Eco-gunners we ask young Arsenal supporters to tell us how they are helping the planet. During lockdown, I saw something on TV about how good composting was for the environment and persuaded my dad to get a composter for the garden, said Izzy, a 12-year-old junior gunner from Derby. Over the last 18 months, we have filled it with vegetable peelings, old fruit, grass cuttings, all sorts of things, 
and it has made brilliant compost for the garden, which I've used to grow tomatoes. They taste amazing. That's fantastic, Izzy. Octavus Energy, our official energy supplier, who are supporting the club on its sustainability journey, love your composting efforts and are sending you a cuddly octopus. Are you a young gunner who is thinking about the environment? Email juniorgunners at arsenal.co.uk now. If we feature you in the programme, our friends at Octopus will send you one too. Octopus Energy. 137 games played using sustainable energy to power the stadium. 11.5 million kilograms of carbon saved. Staff Support. Every issue of the programme we find out what Arsenal staff are doing to become more sustainable. Take it away, Beth O'Neill from our events team. I've stopped using cling film as I know how damaging it is for the environment and have started wrapping food in beeswax wraps. If I bring sandwiches into work, I'll use these and I think they are a brilliant alternative. They're vegan too. I even bought them from a local market, so no shipping for extra sustainability. FSC, forests for all forever. Community Voice Arsenal in the Community engages more than 5,000 participants every week. Each issue we hear about one of our projects from their perspective. Gianni, 15, attends one of our most popular social inclusion Premier League kick sessions on a weekly basis. Here he tells us about his connection with Arsenal in the community and why the sessions are so important to him. I first heard about the kick sessions through a friend. He explained they were free football sessions led by the coaches and I've been coming back every week since. I wasn't aware at the time that Arsenal delivered these types of sessions. I remember my first day. I was excited and a bit worried at the same time. However, I left feeling very welcomed by everyone. This was definitely a big reason for returning the following week. I never have to be persuaded. I wanted to do it, especially knowing it is to do with Arsenal. We do more than just train and play weekly. We have been involved in tournaments and different workshops. I genuinely have made many friends and it's been nice to meet new people. That's not always easy. All the Arsenal staff are very kind and respectful. They have helped me with staying composed, both on and off the pitch. The sessions have had a positive impact on me, giving me motivation to keep training and chase the dream of becoming a professional footballer. I've definitely learned new skills. To be humble, keeping fit, be a team player and being determined. My first touch has improved and I'm making more correct decisions quicker. I feel I've taken some of the lessons from the pitch into everyday life. For example, remaining calm in different situations and controlling my emotions. This change has been noticeable to others. One of my highlights so far, and a huge surprise, was a recent visit to my home by David Frimmy Frimpon. I was chosen to receive a new Arsenal home shirt and tickets to Arsenal versus Chelsea for making a positive contribution to our sessions. I recently found out from watching the Arsenal's YouTube channel that Frimmy also interviewed Arsenal's new signing, Albert Sambi Lakonga. Maybe one day I'll be interviewed again as an Arsenal player. 
Kicks has helped teach me that football is not the only way for young people to progress. We are often encouraged, supported, to stay focused on our education. Being part of Arsenal means a lot to me, and I would 100% recommend others to get involved. Kicks, our Premier League Kicks initiative, is a national programme that brings together the football industry with the police initially to help young people keep away from antisocial behaviour, drugs and crime, and adopt positive influences. Arsenal in the community deliver free Kicks football sessions throughout Islington, Camden and Hackney. For more information regarding the programme, email Jack Ironside at jironside at arsenal.co.uk. Foundation Voice I grew up on a serious diet of rock and roll, became a Hare Krishna monk as a teenager and set up a charity called Food for All. I've been working with the homeless community in Islington since 1988. We cook and distribute 5,000 healthy vegetarian meals daily to the homeless community, elderly, isolated, community centres, refugees and schoolchildren. When lockdown kicked in last March, I was worried what would happen to the vulnerable. Everything from AA meetings to day centres closed down. Then, out of the blue, came an army of volunteers. People who'd been furloughed, very qualified people who used their skills to secure free, good quality food from the businesses that were closing, coordinated the volunteers and set about teams of volunteers on bicycles who delivered meals door to door to isolated elderly people of Islington and Camden. They organised cooks and bakers, opened food banks and took over closed hostels to house the homeless. So the project was up and running We had a free army of committed volunteers, free kitchens, free hotels, and half the food was free. But like with anything, there will be costs. Each food parcel was still costing. Our fresh fruit bill was £2,000 weekly, and I was sweating. Then the rock and roll community came to the rescue. Chrissy Hind became the Food for All president, and throughout the lockdown, 85% of our funds came from music artists and football clubs. Arsenal being our local heroes. I bumped into Bob Geldof at a car boot sale, so out came the camera and he did an on-the-spot interview. He described how in the mid-1970s he lived in an abandoned house on Holloway Road, in poverty. We all go through obstacles in life. Last Valentine's Day, February 14th, we distributed our one millionth meal. These volunteers are technically amateurs, but the word amateur has its roots in the French word amour, so charitable activities founded in love have lasting effects. Hats off to the volunteers. All their work meant they achieved the highest award for any charity, which is the equivalent to an MBE, the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. It's so important to have Arsenal helping out. People take their football seriously, and if they see their heroes doing some selfless acts of kindness it will definitely have a ripple effect in society. When Arsenal gave us a generous donation in the summer of 2020, I boldly announced on social media that they would 100% win the FA Cup for helping us. Can you imagine the surprise when a few months later they did? Academy 
Young Gun, Alien Quesada Thorn. Interview by Aidan Small. The Basics. Name, Alien Quesada Thorn. Born London, 19th of February 2005. Joined, 11th of November 2015. Height and weight, 5 feet 10, 71 kilos. Position, left back or wing back. School, St Albans Boys School. Rate yourself out of a hundred. Pace eighty. Dribbling eighty-five. Passing ninety. Shooting seventy-five. Defending eighty. Physical seventy-five. Low down. Earliest football memory. Indoor football with my dad. First footballer looked up to Lionel Messi. Best friend in football, Matty Roberts. Team supported as a child, Arsenal. Biggest influence on my career, my dad. Favourite goal of all time, Messi versus Bayern in the Champions League. Best goal I've scored, free kick versus Tottenham under-13s. Best player I've faced, a winger for Barcelona on tour. Best game I've ever had, playing against Real Madrid on tour. Proudest achievement in football, getting my scholarship who I combine best with on the pitch, Amario Cozia Duberry. Best moment of my career, making my under-18s debut at 16. Most difficult moment of my career, getting injured during pre-season last year. If I had to change position, I'd be a midfielder. Sing a song to save my life, Drake, fake love. Another sport I'm good at, basketball. About me. Favourite footballer of all time, Messi. If I could be any footballer, Ronaldinho. If I could have a conversation with anyone in the world, Pele. If I could speak to my younger self, I would say, keep working hard. Favourite follow on Instagram, Cristiano Ronaldo. Favourite music artist, Lil Durk, Future, Kendrick. Favourite pre-match song, Chef G, we getting money. Best football attribute, passing. One thing I need on an away day, speakers. One thing I want to do in my football career, win the Ballon d'Or. If I wasn't a footballer, I would be a teacher. First team player I look up to most, Emil Smith-Rowe. Player who shaped my game most, Marcello. Best thing about Arsenal. The Kits. Favourite TV series, Breaking Bad. Something not many people know about me. I'm from four different countries. England, Sweden, Costa Rica, Ireland. My earliest memory of playing football is being with my dad at indoor football camps. I was only two or three and I could hardly walk at the time, so I have these memories of my dad holding me and swinging me into the football just to give me that feel for it. He's always loved football, and because of that, it's always been a part of my life. I've never known life without it, really. Not many people know this, but I'm actually eligible to play for four different countries. My dad was born in Costa Rica, and he used to play for his local team over there. He spent all of his childhood in Costa Rica, and actually stayed there until he was twenty, when he moved with my mum to England. I was born pretty soon after that, 
and I've still got a lot of family over there, so it's definitely a place that's close to my heart and somewhere I visit whenever possible. I'm also eligible to play for Sweden, Ireland, and obviously England too. My mum's dad was Swedish, and my mum's mum was Irish. Anyway, those indoor football sessions paid off, and I eventually joined my first Sunday league team called Whetstone Wanderers. I joined them when I was six years old, I think, and I was there for a good five years or so, but then one day I got my chance to make the step up. I used to train with this guy who had a team of non-academy players from the local area who would play against the academy teams, and as luck would have it, we had a game against Arsenal. I played really well on the day. They invited me to a trial, and I've been here ever since. That's a period of my life I'll never forget. I was just so overwhelmed by the whole situation. A lot of players are picked up at six or seven, and academy football is all they've ever known. But I feel like playing Sunday football until I was twelve allowed me to really appreciate just how fortunate I am to have an opportunity like this. I'm really proud of myself for achieving what I have already. Those years at Hale End were incredible, but over the past year I've had to make the step up to London Coney and get used to a number of changes in my life. It certainly feels like more of a job now, with the days getting longer, but not in a bad way. You just have more responsibilities, and if you want to reach your potential, you have to make the step up. It's what your body needs at this age too. Everything is so professional up here, and I've found it challenging at points, but I feel like that's great for my development as both a player and a person. If I had to describe myself as a player... I'd say I've got a bit of everything, having played in a load of positions. I feel like it's given me an insight of what's needed from players in certain areas, so I can relate to a centre-back whilst also understanding what type of runs a winger is going to make. I'm a left-sided player, and I feel like my crossing, passing and dribbling are some of my biggest strengths. I'm quite a creative player. In terms of my goals for this season... It's always going to be a challenge because there are so many good players here at Arsenal. But my main goal is to regularly start for the under-18s and help us win the league. We've also got some under-17 competitions coming up that I feel like I can be a key player for. And if I show consistency and character in my performances, I really hope that I can make my under-23s debut this season. Making my debut for the under-18s last season was crazy. I could feel the difference straight away. As probably the youngest on the pitch at 15, the pace, tempo and physicality was a huge step up from under-16s football, but I loved it. When you say you're playing up at Hale End, it's usually only one year, but when I played for the under-18s, I was playing against kids three years older who have been training full-time for years now. You just have to grasp it and get on with it because it's the ones that work the hardest that will prosper in the long run. Around the Academy, Mika makes his move. Also joining us in the summer was prolific young striker Mika Bereth, who comes into our under-23 squad after moving from Fulham. 
Still only 18, the forward helped fire Fulham to the under-18s Premier League title last season, netting 21 goals in as many games, and also weighing in with 13 assists. Those impressive stats were enough to make him the highest-scoring player in the country at that level. Upon signing for us, the London-born teenager said, It feels great, and I'm really excited to be here. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I couldn't really turn it down. I think now, with the recent track record of youth going into the first team, I thought it was a great project to try and be a part of. Pro Ballers A host of young players have recently signed their first pro contracts with us recently. Winger, Nathan Butler Oyedeji, goalkeeper, Ovi Hajeri, defender, Mazid Ogungbu, and winger, Kiddo Taylor Hart, all 18 years old, all put pen to paper on pro forms over the summer. Congratulations and best of luck in your Gunners careers. Betsy takes over. Kevin Betsy has joined the club as under-23 head coach ahead of the new season. Kevin, who started his coaching career at Fulham's Academy, joins us from the FA, where he spent the past five years working in key roles with England's youth teams across multiple age categories eventually becoming England under-18's head coach in September 2020. Pre-season roundup. The under-23s were in action at Boreham Wood recently and suffered a 4-0 defeat that followed a 4-1 friendly win over Ebbsfleet for the under-23s, with Zach Swanson, Keon Edwards, Miguel Aziz and Ben Cottrell all on target. The side also played Bromley away in pre-season, losing 3-1 despite Amari Kozia Dubry's goal. Meanwhile, our under-18s won 3-1 away to Hendon, thanks to goals from Charles Sago Jr., Amani Richards and Matthias Roberts, then suffered a 2-0 reverse at Hitchin Town on August 7th, followed by a 2-0 defeat at Slough Town three days earlier. But the under-18s started the new league season in fine style, beating Aston Villa 5-3. Marcelo Flores stole the show with a hat-trick, Sago Jr. and Edwards were also on target. Kevin Betsy's under-23s began with a 6-1 reverse, though, in Premier League 2. A late Aziz penalty was a mere consolation at the London Stadium. Behind the headline, The Shame of Arsenal. Daily Express, Monday, March 17th, 1969. The reaction Arsenal players received after losing the 1969 League Cup final to Swindon Town was so bad you'd think we should have packed up football and gone and played marbles or tiddlywinks instead, admitted former Gunners winger George Armstrong in 1990. For the disconsolate Arsenal players, many of whom had been present and correct when the Gunners also lost to Leeds United in the 1968 League Cup final, there was no escaping the newspaper reports which appeared to revel in Bertie Mee's men's humiliating loss to the third division side. Some players fell by the wayside after that, but those that remained used the headlines as a spur, explained goalkeeper Bob Wilson. It was the Daily Express's Desmond Hackett, known for turning up to football press boxes around the country in his trademark brown bowler hat, who filed the most infamous report. But the Sunday Express's Alan Holby teed up his colleague the day before. Arsenal, slaves of their own system, methodical but utterly predictable, were finally unhinged by the individual brilliance and flair of the Swindon Stars. 
the small-town Cinderellas, whom cynics expected to lose to the North London favourites by a bucketful of goals, Holby wrote. Hackett said in his piece on the Monday, Look with admiration at these heroic athletes from the third division who reduced the traditions of Arsenal to a miserable myth. Arsenal betrayed the pride of London. In case express readers hadn't quite grasped the meaning of Hackett's report, it was headed, The Shame of Arsenal. It was the most infamous Arsenal occasion since Herbert Chapman's team was defeated in the FA Cup by Walsall some 36 years earlier. Admittedly, the conditions at Wembley were horrendous. The pitch had been reduced to an energy-sapping mixture of sand, mud and water, with hundreds of gallons of water pumped off in the days before the game, and eight Arsenal players had been laid low with a chest infection in the previous week. But there were no excuses. Swindon goalkeeper Peter Downsborough played the game of his life, making several superb last-ditch saves, the best of which was a fine stop from a John Samuels volley. Defender Ian Ewers, ill-judged back pass to Bob Wilson, allowed Roger Smart to nip in and score the first. Striker Bobby Gould grabbed a late equaliser and began to cry when he realised that his wife was providing a running commentary for his blind father up in the stands. Arsenal coach Don Howe pleaded unsuccessfully with the referee to abandon the game as it went into extra time. Don Rogers plunged the dagger into Arsenal hearts in that torturous half-hour with a tap-in from a corner and a quicksilver run from the halfway line, after which he drove the ball past Wilson from an acute angle. Arguably, the most jarring image of the day was of a dazed and stunned McClintock wandering lost among the band of the Royal Engineers. At that moment I was wondering if I was cursed, destined never to achieve anything of note in the game admitted the former Leicester City player, who had already lost two FA Cup finals at Wembley with the East Midlanders, as well as the previous season's League Cup with Arsenal. Luckily, I had a strong family around me to lift me, and I guess I had a mean streak inside me, which meant I just couldn't give up. In London's Mayfair, comedian Bob Monkhouse, who prepared to welcome the Arsenal on the Saturday night after the League Cup final, had to alter his routine to reflect Swindon's unexpected success and, of course, Desmond Hackett busied himself writing his piece for the Monday Press. The day after the League Cup final defeat, me spent Sunday at home with his family, gathering my thoughts and spending most of the morning fending off journalists who wanted to speak to me. His policy was to avoid speaking to tabloid hacks in the aftermath of matches, which explains the lack of explosive me quotes in the archives. On the Monday morning, me and Howe met with the deflated Arsenal players, and in time-honoured me fashion, he delivered a let's-get-on-with-it type of speech. I told them that the team spirit we'd nurtured would not disintegrate, rather that we would gain strength and come back from adversity and negative headlines. I looked into the eyes of all my men, and although I saw disappointment and hurt, I also saw hunger and desire, none more so than in the eyes of Frank McClintock. I thought that if he, after all he'd been through, remained strong, then this team would stay resolute. Bob Wilson recalls, We could have gone home, gone to bed, pulled the covers over ourselves and stayed there. Instead we came out fighting. The players immediately looked on the only positive they could draw upon from the whole experience. 
there was still a Fairs Cup place up for grabs if they could finish in the top four in the league, which remained a distinct possibility if they could stabilise quickly. Me and Howe, who realised that Arsenal were lacking in key areas, made two key tactical switches. George Graham, who had been a substitute at Wembley, was asked by me and Howe to play in the number six shirt as an old-fashioned left half, who could play in midfield and ghost into the box to score some goals. His relaxed skill on the ball, hence his nickname Stroller, made him an obvious choice for the role. More unorthodox was Chief Scout Gordon Clark's suggestion that McClintock could be converted from a high-energy, occasionally rash midfielder into an effective centre-back. Both were inspired tactical moves. As Arsenal went from strength to strength, winning the Fairs Cup in 1970 and the double in 1971. Desmond Hackett continued to cover London matches and write provocative headlines. He regularly bumped into the Arsenal players, several of whom reminded him that the harsh headline he penned during one of the club's darkest hours had, ultimately, had a galvanising effect on many of the players as they ensured the trophies once again returned to Highbury. The year, 1969. In football, First Division champions, Leeds United, Arsenal 4th, FA Cup winners, Manchester City. Footballer of the Year, Tony Book, Man City, Dave Mackay, Derby County. European Cup winners, AC Milan. Also in 1969, the Beatles give their last performance on the roof of Apple Records. A Boeing 747 makes its first commercial flight and Concorde has its first test flight. Neil Armstrong becomes the first man to walk on the moon. The Woodstock Music and Arts Fair is held in New York. Monty Python's Flying Circus first airs on British television. Pelé scores his 1,000th goal as a professional footballer. The House of Lords votes to abolish the death penalty in England, Scotland and Wales. Michael Jackson makes his first TV appearance on the Johnny Carson show with the Jackson 5. Arsenal Women. News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Welcome Mana Nikita, Simone and Frida. Arsenal have signed four outstanding talents this summer. Japan international Mana Iwabuchi joined us from Aston Villa. She has also played for Hoffenheim, Bayern Munich, Nippon TV Beliza and INAC Kobe Leonessa in her native Japan. Next in was England forward Nikita Paris, who arrived from Olympique Lyonnais in France. A women's Super League winner at Man City, she also won two League Cups and two FA Cups before heading to Lyon and winning the Women's Champions League. Simone Boy Sorensen has joined us from Bayern Munich and is also a Champions League winner in 2013 when the defender captained Brondby to the trophy. And most recently, the Gunners signed outstanding young Norwegian talent Frida Manum. An exciting attacking midfielder, 22-year-old Frida is already an experienced Norway international. Welcome Jonas. Jonas Edeval is the new manager of Arsenal Women. 
the 38-year-old Swede took his first steps into management as a 23-year-old assistant coach at men's sides Lunds BK, before eventually taking the head coach role and guiding them to the 2009 second division title. A switch to women's football followed when he joined Rosengard, first as an assistant and then as the head coach, achieving back-to-back Damalsvenskan titles in 2013 and 2014. The Swede then spent a brief spell as Henrik Larsen's assistant at Helsingborgs, before returning to Rosengard and leading them to the 2018 Swedish Cup and their first league title in four years in 2019. He also guided the Malmö-based club to the quarter-finals of last season's Women's Champions League. 2021-22 Fixtures Home games are played at Meadow Park, Borehamwood FC, but our first Women's Super League home game of the season against Chelsea will take place at Emirates Stadium. Matches kick off at 3pm unless stated otherwise. August 18, FC Okshepes, UEFA Women's Champion League, 4-0. August 21, PSV Lokomotiv Moscow, UEFA Women's Champion League. September 5, Chelsea, 12.30pm, Women's Super League. September 12, Reading, Women's Super League. September 26, Man City, 6.45pm, Women's Super League. September 29th, Tottenham Hotspur, Football Association Club. October 3rd, Aston Villa, 12.30pm, Women's Super League. October 10th, Everton, Women's Super League. November 6th, West Ham United, Women's Super League. November 14th, Tottenham Hotspur, Women's Super League. November 21st, Manchester United, Women's Super League. December 12th, Leicester City, Women's Super League. December 19th, Brighton and Hove Albion, Women's Super League. January 9th, Birmingham City, Women's Super League. January 16th, Reading, Women's Super League. January 23rd, Manchester City, Women's Super League. February 6th, Man United, Women's Super League. February 13th, Chelsea, Women's Super League. March 4th, Birmingham City, Women's Super League. March 13th, Brighton and Hove Albion, Women's Super League. March 27th, Tottenham Hotspur, Women's Super League. April 3rd, Leicester City, Women's Super League. April 24th, Everton, Women's Super League. May 1st, Aston Villa, Women's Super League. May 7th, West Ham United, Women's Super League. Capital Gains Arsenal women were in superb form in two prestige pre-season friendlies against local rivals Chelsea and Tottenham earlier this month. At Emirates on August 1st, the current Women's Super League champions were beaten 2-1, courtesy of goals from Katie McCabe and Academy product Freyo Jupp, in a match that saw new signings Simone Boy and Frieda Manum impress. A week later, there was more delight for the Academy as Tottenham were dispatched 4-0 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
This time it was the Academy's Alex Hennessy, scoring twice, along with goals from Katie McCabe and Anna Patton. Fellow Teen Academy stars Jupp, Hala Hussein and Taya Goldie also featured, while head coach Jonas Eidval was on the touchline for the first time as Arsenal manager. Not a bad way to get the ball rolling. Off and running. Arsenal started the season proper with a 4-0 win over Kazakhstan side FC Okshepes in the UEFA Women's Champions League first round on Wednesday. The goal scorers at the Sapsan Arena Moscow were debutants Mani Iwabuchi and Nikita Paris, captain Kim Little from the penalty spot and Beth Mead. Round one of UEFA Women's Champions League takes the format of a mini-tournament and the Gunners were due to take on either PSV Eindhoven or Lokomotiv Moscow in the final yesterday. Check arsenal.com for the result. New Contracts Leah Williamson has signed a new contract with the Gunners. Now a full England international, Leah joined us when she was just nine years old and made her debut for us as a 17-year-old in 2014. A lifelong supporter and former junior gunner, the central defender has won the 2019 Women's Super League, two Continental Tyres League Cups and two Women's FA Cups in her time with us, making 165 appearances and scoring 10 goals along the way. I've signed because I've always said that this is my club, said the 24-year-old. I say it's a fairy tale that I'm still here. I have won trophies and we've continued to compete for trophies. That's really important to me. Australia goalkeeper Lydia Williams has also signed a contract extension, keeping her at the club until the end of next season. Lydia played 11 times for the Gunners in the Women's Super League last season. The Visitors, Chelsea, by Mike Hammond. Formed 1901, nicknamed the Blues, the Pensioners. Owner, Roman Abramovich. Stadium, Stamford Bridge, 40,834. Honours, PL, Div 1, x 6, FA Cup, times 8, League Cup, times 5, UCL, times 2, UEL, Times two, UCWC times two, USC times two. Arsenal welcomed the European champions to Emirates Stadium for the second time this month, following the Mind Series friendly with Chelsea one two one. Since then, the West Londoners have added another trophy to their collection, winning the UEFA Super Cup on penalties after a 1-1 draw against Europa League holders Villarreal in Belfast. Chelsea fans will be hoping it's not the only trophy their team lifts during a 2021-22 season that is high on promise and will surely see the club challenging in the Premier League, a competition they have won five times but not since 2016-17. They began their quest for glory last Saturday with a 3-0 win against Crystal Palace at Stamford Bridge. Since claiming the Premier League title under manager Antonio Conte five seasons ago, the Blues have finished fifth, third, fourth and fourth again. Last term they only just squeezed into the top four ahead of Leicester City, 
beating them 2-1 at home in their penultimate fixture just three days after Brendan Rodgers' side had shocked them with a 1-0 win in the FA Cup final at Wembley. A last-day defeat at Villa Park did not prove costly, as Leicester also lost 2-4 at home to Tottenham. Ultimately, in terms of qualification for this season's Champions League, those results did not matter to Thomas Tuchel's side as they went on to lift the biggest club trophy of them all by defeating Manchester City 1-0 in Porto in the Champions League final, the club's second victory in Europe's Premier Club competition following their first success in 2012. On Thursday, Chelsea will discover who their group stage opponents will be as they begin the defence of the Champions League next month. But for now, all focus will be on getting the better of Arsenal and securing three points in their first away fixture of the Premier League campaign. The recent arrival for a club record fee of Romelu Lukaku has strengthened what was already a formidable squad, and it goes without saying that the West Londoners will take some stopping this season. The boss, Thomas Tuchel. Head coach. Born August the 29th, 1973, in Krumbach, Germany. Previously, Augsburg to 2007-8, Mainz, 2009 to 14, Borussia Dortmund, 2015 to 17, Paris Saint-Germain, 2018 to 20. Thomas joined Chelsea in January this year, replacing Frank Lampard, and within the space of four months had led the club to UEFA Champions League glory. The 1-0 win over Manchester City in the Porto final tasted especially sweet, as he had lost the same fixture the previous August, as his Paris Saint-Germain side were beaten 1-0 by Bayern Munich in Lisbon. Thomas made his name during a progressive five-year spell at Mainz, which earned him a move to Borussia Dortmund. He led them to a 2017 German Cup win before replacing Unai Emery a year later at PSG, where he won two league titles and the domestic treble. 28. The skipper, Cesar Aspilicueta, defender, born Pamplona, Spain, 28th of August 1989, previously Osasuna, Marseille. Cesar has proved to be one of the West London club's most astute signings of recent years, offering decisive contributions of fullback on both flanks in over 400 matches, and the man who turns 32 at the end of this month will celebrate a decade at the club next summer. Having captained Chelsea to last season's Champions League triumph, he then appeared in four of Spain's matches at Euro 2020, scoring his first international goal in the 5-3 round of 16 win against Croatia. 5. The anchor, Jorginho, midfielder. Born in Bituba, Brazil. 20th of December 1991, previously Verona, San Bonifacisi on loan, Napoli. Jorginho joined Chelsea on July the 14th, 2018, the same day as his former Napoli boss Maurizio Sarri, but whereas Sarri departed after a year, the 28-year-old Brazilian-born Italy midfielder and recent European champion at both club and national team level, has remained a key player at Stamford Bridge. A central midfield pivot, 
He is Chelsea's main distribution hub and also a reliable penalty taker, though England's Jordan Pickford did save his effort, in vain as it proved, in the Euro 2020 final shootout. 7. The Midfield Dynamo, N'Golo Kante, Midfielder Born at Paris, France, 29th of March 1991 Previously, Bologna, Cannes, Leicester Universally recognised as one of the world's great central midfielders thanks to his brilliant tackling, reading of the game and bursts of acceleration, N'Golo was voted man of the match in Chelsea's Champions League final victory against Manchester City, prompting many to tout him as a 2021 Ballon d'Or front-runner. A winner of the Premier League in each of his first two seasons in England, with Leicester then Chelsea, the diminutive all-action 30-year-old was also a World Cup winner with France in 2018. 19. The Schemer Mason Mount, midfielder, born Portsmouth, 10th of January 1999, previously Vitesse on loan, Derby on loan. Mason has been on Chelsea's books since the age of six, although he had to wait until the 2019-20 season before representing the club at senior level. A loan spell with Vitesse helped his development before he prospered on loan at Derby. Fast-tracked into the England side by Gareth Southgate, the gifted 22-year-old has now collected 21 caps, the last five of them at Euro 2020, where he arrived fresh from some inspirational displays in the latter stages of Chelsea's Champions League triumph. 16. The keeper, Edouard Mendy, goalkeeper, born Montevideo, France, 1st of March 1992, previously... Cherbourg, Marseille B, Reims, Rennes. Brought to Stamford Bridge in September last year from Rennes on the advice of Petra Cech, a former player himself of the Brittany club, Edouard had a terrific first season in England. After replacing Kepa as Chelsea's first-choice goalkeeper, he ran up 16 clean sheets in 31 Premier League appearances and a record equaling 9 in 12 Champions League outings. The giant 29-year-old Senegal international signing off the season with a characteristically resilient display in the final against Manchester City. 29. The rising star, Kai Havertz, midfielder, born Aachen, Germany, 11th of June 1999. Previously, Bayer Leverkusen. With his winning goal in the 2021 Champions League final, his first in the competition, Kai ensured immortality as a Chelsea player. But the gifted left-footer's first season at the club, following a reported £71 million plus transfer from Bayer Leverkusen, was generally one of inconsistency, with just four Premier League goals to his name. However, that blaze of glory in Porto earned him a regular starting berth for Germany at Euro 2020, where he was the team's top scorer with two goals. 2. The linchpin, Antonio Rudiger, defender, born Berlin, Germany, 3rd of March 1993, previously Stuttgart, Roma. Antonio has just started his fifth season as a Chelsea player 
having joined the Blues from Roma in July 2017. Tall, tough and aerially powerful, the 28-year-old centre-back struggled to make the first 11 during Frank Lampard's time as manager, but since the arrival of his compatriot, Thomas Tuchel, he has been a mainstay of the team's defence and played every minute of last season's Champions League knockout phase. He also started all four of Germany's games at Euro 2020. 9. The record by Romelu Lukaku, forward, born, Antwerp, Belgium, 13th of May 1993. Previously, Anderlecht, Chelsea, West Brom on loan, Everton, Manchester United, Internazionale. Signed earlier this month from Italian champions Inter for a club record £97.5 million fee, Romelu is back at Stamford Bridge for a second spell, his first between 2011 and 2014, having yielded just 15 appearances and, remarkably, no goals. Now firmly established as one of the world's great strikers, the powerful 28-year-old left-footer has netted 64 goals in 98 internationals for Belgium, including four in five at Euro 2020, and struck the same number in 95 official outings for Inter. Scouting Report by Michael Cox On the basis of the opening weekend, European champions Chelsea might be the team to beat this season. Their 3-0 victory over Crystal Palace was comprehensive, with Chelsea barely allowing their opponents over the halfway line before the interval. That owed much to excellent counter-pressing by Thomas Tuchel's side. The speed and mobility of his attacking trio is crucial in an attacking sense, but it also helps them win the ball back quickly after a misplaced pass. To avoid playing themselves into danger, Arsenal must be alert to the threat of that closing down. With such a deep squad, Tuchel is able to turn to his bench to provide extra energy without suffering much in terms of quality. In fact, last weekend's victory was achieved without club record signing Romelu Lukaku, who provides arguably the one thing Chelsea were otherwise lacking, a prolific striker. It remains to be seen how Tuchel uses him. Often miscast as a pure penalty box player, Lukaku has often thrived when starting from the right. He memorably destroyed Arsenal at Goodison Park in his period at Everton when starting on the right, and his manager that day, Roberto Martinez, has used him in a similar manner on occasion for Belgium too. His excellent title-winning campaign at Inter Milan last season featured him playing in a front two with responsibility to drift wide to the right. Therefore, Lukaku offers two different options. Chelsea's front three could feature Lukaku as a lone striker with two players just behind him, probably two of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech. Alternatively, he and Timo Werner could start together up front, working the channel on either side, perhaps with Havertz or Mount as a number 10. The speedy Werner will certainly appreciate having someone else to lead the line, having struggled for goals last season. In the centre of midfield, Tuchel is selecting two from three, the eternally energetic N'Golo Kante, 
the metronomic deep-lying Jorginho, who loves a first-time ball in behind having received the ball from the right, and Mateo Kovacic, who can do a bit of everything. Out wide, Ben Chilwell performed well towards the end of last season, particularly in the European Cup final, but Marcus Alonso continues to look well-suited to a wing-back role and has a fine record against Arsenal, with three goals in seven Premier League games. On the other flank, Cesar Aspilicueta offers defensive discipline with Rhys James superior in terms of speed and crossing. Thiago Silva may return to the defence, but Andreas Christensen is arguably most comfortable in that position in the middle of the three. Antonio Rodiga offers much-needed speed alongside either to the left. To the right, Trevo Chalabar's superb goal against Palace underlines his promise. Chelsea even have tactical options in goal, as seen by Tuchel using Kepa Arizabalaga as a late replacement for Edward Mendy for Chelsea's penalty shootout triumph over Villarreal in the UEFA Super Cup final. Right options. Thomas Tuchel is able to count upon two players, Rhys James and Cesar Azpilicueta, who are both comfortable as right-sided centre-back or right-wing-back. Therefore, Tuchel is able to switch them according to the demands of the specific match. It's more regularly James higher up the pitch, but for the FA Cup final against Leicester in May, James was dropped back to the deeper position to use his speed up against Jamie Vardy, who has largely kept quiet. Match action. Arsenal v Chelsea. Granit Xhaka scored a second-half header, but we suffered a frustrating defeat in our only outing at Emirates Stadium of pre-season. Chelsea struck first in front of more than 20,000 through Kai Havertz, who finished well on the counter. Xhaka headed home from a corner to equalise, and by that stage Ben White was on the pitch for his debut. But it was Chelsea who claimed the win in this Mind Series opener. Tammy Abraham capitalised on a loose pass to tuck home past Bernd Leno. Match action, Arsenal v Tottenham. We ended our pre-season campaign with a disappointing defeat away to our North London rivals. Son Hume Min's late strike proving decisive. Mikel Arteta named a strong side, with new signings Ben White and Sambi Lukonga in from the start. But it was Alexandre Lacazette who went closest for us in the first half, hitting the post from 20 yards. Son was alone in the box to grab the winner 10 minutes from time, while Bakayo Saka nearly forced an equaliser late on. Match action. Premier League. Friday, August 13th, 2021, 8pm. Brentford Community Stadium. Brentford 2, Canos 22, Norgard 73, Arsenal nil. Stats. Possession. BFC 35%. AFC 65%. Total shots. BFC 8. AFC 22. Shots on target. BFC 3. AFC 4. Blocked shots. BFC 0. AFC 4. Offsides. B. 
BFC 1, AFC 1. Corners, BFC 2, AFC 5. Tackles 1, BFC 12, AFC 3. Yellow cards, BFC 0, AFC 0. Red cards, BFC 0, AFC 0. Timeline, 22nd minute. Sergei Canos gives Brentford the lead with a fierce shot inside the near post. 73rd minute. Christian Norgard scores a header from a long throw for 2-0. 81st minute. Nuno Tavares comes on to make his debut. 87th minute. Nicolas Pepe is denied by a good David Raya save. Talking heads. Ben White. It was obviously a disappointing start. I think we created some chances and could have had some goals, but we didn't today and they did. Obviously it's an unbelievable feeling to make my debut that's clouded by the result. Mikel Arteta It's a very disappointing night. We needed to start in a very different way. The performance in the two halves was different. In the first half we had periods where we weren't ourselves. We got in trouble pretty easily in different ways with the long balls and the second balls. We were very disappointed with that. We reacted in the second half after going 1-0 down, when the crowd was right behind them. We created a lot of situations, but not enough threat or shots on target to win a football match. Facts. Ben White, Sambi Lokongo and Nuno Tavares all made their Arsenal debuts. This was our first league meeting with Brentford since May 1947. We lost our opening game of the season for the first time since 2018. Supporters Voice We hear about Amelia, an Arsenal fan whose story must be told. Adam Lane tells us about his inspirational daughter, Amelia. The five-year-old lives with Adam, Mum Becky and little brother Freddie in Surrey, and they are all ardent Arsenal fans. Like everyone, the last 18 months have been a struggle, but in particular our Arsenal-loving daughter Amelia, aged five, has had to deal with a lot more than the average kid her age. Our family has been touched by the loss of loved ones during the pandemic, and whilst coming to terms with this, we were then delivered the devastating news that Amelia has been diagnosed with a rare childhood illness affecting her hip bone. Overnight, she went from a fun-loving, active football fanatic to a child not allowed to play football, on crutches, in daily pain, and sometimes left with no choice but to go in a wheelchair when the pain was too much. She has been an inspiration to everyone who knows her, and she never complains about her disease. She just gets on with it. Treatment for Amelia is ongoing, but it's expected she won't be able to run, jump or play football for the next couple of years. Although she misses physical activities and playing football, she has channeled her energy into a new hobby and has taken up swimming from the advice of her doctors. Redirecting her energy, which she has in bundles, into something new has given her the opportunity to enjoy sport again, and she's never not smiling when swimming now. Amelia remains a huge football fan. Last year she won Child Most Likely to Become a Famous Footballer, beating all the boys in her class. And her favourite players are Bukaya Saka and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 
We are a family of lifelong Arsenal supporters. We used to have season tickets in the North Bank Upper. Her little brother is called Freddy, after his granddad, Fred, who has a commemorative plaque close to the Tony Adams statue. Amelia is yet to attend her first game at Emirates Stadium, but is really looking forward to the opportunity this season, when the crowds are invited back into the stadium. Know an Arsenal fan whose story should be told? Perhaps they have gone to great lengths to show their support for the Gunners, battled against difficulties in their lives, or shown great compassion for others. If you think they have a story, we need to hear it. Email us at programme at arsenal.co.uk. Every supporter featured will receive a unique personalised version of the Matchday programme featuring their story. Teams. For Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts, red and white hoop socks. 1. Bernd Leno. 2. Hector Bellerin. 3. Kieran Tierney. 4. Ben White. 5. Tomas Partey. 6. Gabriel. 7. Bukayo Saka. 9. Alexandre Lacazette. 10. Emil Smith Rowe. 11. Lucas Torreira. 12. Willian. 13. Alex Runason, goalkeeper. 14. Pierre Americo Bamiang. 15. Ainsley Maitland Niles. 16. Rob Holding. 17. Cedric Suarez. 19. Nicolas Pepe. 20. Nuno Tavares. 21. Callum Chambers. 22. Pablo Mari. 23. Albert Sambi Lokonga. 24. Rhys Nelson. 25. Mohamed Elneny. 26. Follerin Balogun. 30. Edian Kitia. 31. Seat Kalasinak. 33. Arthur Okonkwo, goalkeeper. 34. Granit Xhaka. 35. Gabriel Martinelli. For Chelsea, head coach, Thomas Tuchel. Blue shirts and shorts, white socks. 1. Kepa Arizabalaga, goalkeeper. 2. Antonio Rudiger. 3. Marcos Alonso. 4. Andreas Christensen. 5. Jorginho. 6. Thiago Silva. 7. Ngolo Kante. 8. Matteo Kovacic. 9. Romelu Lukaku. 10. Christian Pulisic. 11. Timo Ferner. 12. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. 13. Margus Patinelli. 14. Trevor Chalabar. 15. Kurt Zuma. 16. Edward Mendy, goalkeeper. 19. Mason Mount. 20. Callum Hudson Odoi. 21. Ben Chilwell. 22. Hakim Ziyech. 24. Rhys James. 27. Tino Anjurin. 28. Cesar Aspilicueta. 29. Kai Havertz. 33. Emerson. 44. Ethan Ampadu. Referee, Paul Tierney. Assistant Referees, Konstantin Hatsidakis, Neil Davis.
fourth official David Coote, VAR official Chris Kavanagh, additional VAR official Sean Macielis. Today's other fixtures: Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Tottenham Hotspur, two p.m. Southampton versus Manchester United, two p.m. The Arsenal Foundation. Helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. No room for racism. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.